Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. All right, I want to start off by um, doing a little overview of the first four or five weeks. You know, the first week we talked about God has a plan for man. And uh, that plan in Genesis 1.26 is to make us in his image and according to his likeness. And he is still on that original task. He's not diverted himself. He's not come up with a new plan. Salvation through Christ is not a plan B. It's a continuous uh, action of plan A, which was to make us in his image. We know that because in Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says he's using all things to do something good, and that good is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, now, we know that God, according to the Bible, has a character that never changes. Uh, also, he knows everything from the beginning, even the end that hasn't occurred yet. And so this whole sin problem we'll talk about, we talked about in work in week three, was not a surprise to God. He knew he'd have to deal with that. So Jesus was the lamb that was slain, was also foreknown before the foundation of the world. So his, uh, his continual pursuit of finishing what he started, you know, the New Testament says, he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so we can be confident that God whose character never changes, is still on task. He's doing what he started out to do in a way that we can have confidence. Now, here's a great principle about this. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, okay? Uh, is God who made us and not we ourselves. And so we don't have to fret over, am I making myself more Christ-like? That's actually not our job. Our job is to respond in faith as God develops his character in us through a maturing process. Which leads us to, in week four, the idea that man is a dependent being. If, if we were independent of God, which is what the original sin was, uh, Satan chose out of pride to be independent of God, then he tempted Adam and Eve to go independent from God. Um, that's what sin was. That's what separated us from God. That's like taking the battery out of a flashlight. Uh, we had the ability as created beings to express the nature and the character of God, but sin separated us from God, separated us from that power. Well, Jesus came back to restore us to that position where we have the power of God within us. That's why it says in Acts 1.8, you receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. All right, so... Um, this sin problem was independence from God when in truth we're actually created to be a dependent being upon God. Uh, you can't be like God apart from God. So Jesus came back to restore that. In order to do that, he had to take care of sin, move it out of the way, and cleanse the temple so the Holy Spirit could live in this temple. The temple, you know, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. But part of the progression after the sin in the Garden of Eden, God did something for a period of time. Uh, from, from the time of Adam till Noah and the great flood, 
God basically left man to himself, and we talked about that uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, that the end result of that was the thoughts of man's heart were only evil continually. Uh, that's the result of man being off to himself. Because see, as humanity, we're really masters at convincing ourselves that we're pretty good. I'm as good as the next guy, or I've never done that, so surely God will accept me because my good works outweigh my bad works. Well, the only thing God accepts is absolute perfection. So if you're going to work your way into heaven, you'll never get there. But Christ came and lived a perfect life, and he exchanges his perfect life with our death. He takes our death to the cross and gives us his life in return. All right, so after the flood, God began to interact with man more um, on a daily basis or a lot more often than the time like from the garden till the flood. And um, he began to introduce himself to people in ways that offered them the chance to trust him. Eventually this guy came along, his name was Abram, and he believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And God led him through his period of life. He said, I'm going to give you a son. And um, his name was going to be, turned out to be Isaac. And uh, he was the son of promise. And later he was asked to sacrifice that son, and he did. But just before he took this child's life, he's actually probably a young man, 18 to 20 years old. Um, God provided a lamb, a ram, caught in the thicket. And they sacrificed the ram instead, which is a perfect picture of Christ dying on our behalf for the firstborn, which was Adam and his race. And all of that fits in together. But because Abraham believed God so much that he would even be willing to sacrifice his only son through Sarah, the Bible says that God said, because you're willing to do this, uh, I'm going to make you a promise. And the promise wasn't I'll do something for you if you do something for me. He says, I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to make you a great nation. You'll never lack someone, uh, he said through David later, to sit on the throne. Um, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham didn't have to do anything to get God to do that. He didn't have to be a great guy. He still did some goofy things. You can go read about his life, uh, sinful things, lying and so forth. Um, tried to make a son of his own with you know, Hagar, uh, Sarah's handmaid, and so on. So it wasn't based on his righteousness by works. It was based on his faith. And when the law came in, which we're going to talk about today, it didn't negate the promises or change the contract or covenant God made with Abraham. So the next step in man's history, a big one, was the introduction of the law, which came through Moses, you know, uh, some 400 years uh, after the children of Israel had been in captivity, and it was Jacob, Abraham's grandson, that moved the family down to Egypt, and they lived there 400 years. They were in bondage. Uh, then God set them free, and there's lots of great pictures in there that we'll talk about later in great detail in the, in the series of the Passover and the shedding of the blood and the protection and the freedom that mankind got through that but then the need to trust God and move into the promised land, but they didn't, they rebelled and all that. We'll look at that. But during that wilderness experience, after they left Egypt, God introduced them to the law. Uh, the, the 613 laws of the Old Covenant, we call the Old Covenant, it's not the oldest covenant. He made covenants with Abraham and Eve before that. But it was a covenant, 
a contract, an agreement that basically said, hey, listen, if you'll do these things for me, this is the things I'll do for you. Well, the interesting thing was, while God was actually writing in the stone the words of the Ten Commandments, Moses and Aaron were down at the bottom, not Moses and Aaron, Aaron was down at the bottom of the mountain uh, while Moses was up on the mountain uh, receiving the Ten Commandments. Aaron was down there building a golden calf. And the first commandment was, you'll have no other gods before me. And from that time on, Israel never actually kept the law. There was a few people that kept it pretty good along the ways, you know, David and different ones, but they also broke it at times. You know, David was a man for God on God's own heart, but he also committed adultery and murder. Um, and God forgave him of that because he confessed it, but he was not righteous or accepted by God because of his good works. He was righteous and accepted because of faith. All right, so God was working his plan, and uh, there was covenants, there were agreements, but this old covenant was given for a purpose. And the purpose was, in God's context and purpose for man, is really important. Uh, God is building us in his image. He needed us to know that that was not work that we would do by outward performance. But like I said, man is good at believing that I can be good enough. I can, I can achieve this thing. You know, the Pharisees in Paul's day and around Jesus, the time when he was here, they believed in their own self-righteousness, that they were good enough to be accepted by God. Uh, they even called themselves, like Paul said, I thought I was blameless, you know, but then I gave all that up because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So let's look at Romans 5.20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So wait a minute. Why would the law want, why would God give the law so transgressions would increase? You know, if, if this black shirt I'm having on, I have on right now, if I had little white specks on it uh, and I was in kind of a dark room, you'd never notice it. Okay, if you turn on real bright lights, you might notice it. But let's say somebody threw white paint on it. Then it'd be real visible. Okay. Um, we needed to know that in and of ourselves, we were incapable of achieving the righteousness that God wanted in us, that acceptability. And we think, as humans that it's up to us to do that, that somehow I, can, I should or could live good enough to be acceptable before God. Of course, the longer we live, the more we realize that can't be done. All right, so it's like the law was given as a bright light so that in the dark room that we felt like we all looked okay, suddenly we realized, man, my shirt is dirty or my hair's messed up or I'm, I'm not really as good as I thought I was. And that's, that's what it was given for, I believe. It's not to make us sin more, but the interesting thing about human nature, you know, you, you see the sign and it says, wet paint don't touch. Well, before I saw the sign, I wasn't even thinking about touching it. But now I want to go touch it and see if the paint really is wet. <laughs> uh, 
And so, here's in Galatians 3.19 that says this. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed, who is Jesus, would come to whom the promise had been made. So God had made a promise that he was going to send, he told Eve, your seed will crush the serpent's head, your child, your son. And so because there were transgressions, um, the law was given to expose those, and it did some other things for us. It was like a civil law. What do you do if somebody steals your donkey? What do you do if this happens or if that happens? What are the punishments? What are the, how do you make restitution? Okay, so it, it governed the people somewhat, and they used it that way, but it didn't ever make them righteous before God because they would have had to have kept it perfectly but see, even then, it would have been ineffective. So the next point is, the law reveals sin and our need for a Savior. In 1 John 3, 4, it says, Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, where sin is lawlessness. Now, that's been from the Garden of Eden. Uh, just because there wasn't the law doesn't mean that, that there weren't laws. Uh, don't eat from that tree. That was basically a law. It was a commandment. They broke it. But there were, there were laws people understood. You know, if you steal something from someone, uh, there was a conscience that we had. And, uh, but the more we tried as humanity to try to make life work on our own terms, the less effective we were at doing that. And so the law came, like that bright light I said a moment ago, to reveal our sinful behavior. And more than that, it came to reveal our sinful nature of those who are separated from God. Because uh, the law and even doing good things is not what makes us acceptable before God. It's a relationship. We'll talk about that here in a minute. In Romans 7, 12 to 13, it says, So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So there's nothing wrong with the law. Now, some people believe nowadays there's nothing wrong with the law. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? That's verse 13. May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So sin, this, Paul talks about it like it's almost an, a physical entity, a separate being, that it takes the law and it twists it and uses something that was good in order to do something that was evil. The law is supposed to enlighten us to God's truth and who he is, but the sin nature takes that and twists it around. It's almost like, think of something in your life, in your experience, that's good, that's been used for evil. You know, growing up, I enjoyed baseball. Well, you can knock a home run with a baseball bat, or you can knock somebody in the head with a baseball bat. So a baseball bat is actually a good thing. It was created for a good purpose, and there it is. 
But sin could take that good thing and use it to do an evil thing. Well, that's exactly what sin did with the law. The law was given, it's good, it's righteous, it's holy, there's nothing wrong with it, but sin takes it. You know, Paul even says in Romans 7 that that which was meant for life, sin took it and caused me to die. We just read that in Romans 7, 12 through 13. All right, so the law can't make you righteous. It wasn't given for that purpose. It is a good thing, but it was given for the purpose of, it, of revealing sin, not curing sin. But, okay, that's, so it can't make you righteous, but what does it do other than reveal sin, which is a huge um, benefit that the law has for us? Psalm 19.8 says this, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. All right, so what he tells us and the things he instructs us about life are right. And they enlighten us. They show us something. You know, Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I believe that's Psalm 119, 105. So it shows us something. Um, you know, if I see the path, but I don't walk in it, does that mean that the light that illuminated the path was flawed? No, it means I chose to walk a different way and walk off the path and maybe fall off the cliff or something. Right, so the law of the Lord is good, it's right, it rejoices the heart, it's pure, it enlightens us. It's there for a purpose. But that purpose is not to save us. Let me read this to you. Um, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, this to me has become a very important realization concerning the law. We don't teach the law, but the law teaches us. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's say I could show you an animated video that I had put together on how to build a house or a coffee table or something like that. I love woodworking. Well, you could watch that animated video and at the end of the video, there wouldn't be a coffee table. There wouldn't be a house. There would just be how to do one and what it would look like if it was finished. But there's a difference between the video and the production of the piece itself. Okay, so the law is a tutor, it's a teacher. In Galatians 4, 25, 24 and 25, excuse me, Galatians 3, Verse 24 and 25, it says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. You see, all throughout the law, there was visual representation of spiritual truth. You know, they sacrificed lots of animals. But then it says the blood of bulls and goats could never make the worshiper perfect. It could never change their heart. It just reminded them of their sin year after year after year. So why kill all those animals? Well, it was a visual representation that blood had to be shed to deal with the sin problem. But it couldn't be the blood of animals. It had to be the blood of someone who, whose life was valuable enough to actually pay off the debt for all of mankind. And that person's life was Jesus Christ. And so the law was like that animated video. It kept showing them what had to happen. But seeing that in the law never made it happen. But Christ, when he came, 
He was the perfect sacrifice that fulfilled all of those predictions, all of those illustrations. It's like the entire Old Testament is a parable. It's a story about what God is doing and how it has to be done. But Jesus came to actually do it. Those things never did it. They just told us what it was going to be. It's that animated video. It described what a relationship with God is like and how you have one by faith and the shedding of blood and walking with him by faith and obeying out of humility rather than pride and those kind of things. All right, so the law is a tutor. It's there to lead us. You know, tutors in the old uh, biblical times were the person, was the person that had custody of the child and he would take him to all his various teachers so that they would learn the things they needed to learn. Well, the, the, the law is our tutor taking us to Christ so we may be justified by faith, it says in Galatians 3. All right, so that's what the law does. Well, let's talk about what it can't do. Galatians 2.16 says this, Nevertheless, knowing that man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we, Jews, have believed in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Okay, so the works of the law can never make someone justified before God. You know, Romans 5.1, we talked about it last week, says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The justification, that rightness, that acceptability before God comes on the basis of faith. Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3, I gave up all these things I thought would make me, was making me righteous in order to receive the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. And that's, uh, that's what all the Old Testament was telling us. Do these things. Well, I couldn't do those things. Well, then in and of myself, I'm not good enough. But the Old Testament also tells us the just shall live by faith. All right, so that's a, that's a, that is not something new that came with Jesus. That's been since the garden. You know, Enoch, the seventh generation I mentioned a couple weeks ago, seventh generation from Adam, walked with God and he was not, for he, was, he had this testimony that he was pleasing to God. And without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. So he was a man of faith. You read about him in Genesis and also in Hebrews 11. All right, so why is that so hard for us? Why is it seemingly easy for us to accept the idea that we need to be good enough to be acceptable before God? Well, the world system we live in is based on one principle. You have to perform to be accepted. Performance-based acceptance, some people call it. I lived a lot of my early Christian life as though Jesus made the down payment and he left all the installments to me. You know, when I bought my first house, that's exactly what happened. My mom and dad gave me $1,000, and I bought a three-bedroom, two-bath, uh, double-car garage house in Norman, Oklahoma for $19,100. And so they paid off the first thousand, and I had $18,100 to pay off, and I thought the payments were going to kill me. But the down payment didn't pay off the house. I had to keep making installments or somebody would take it away from me. And so I lived a lot of my Christian life as though Jesus' death was just a down payment of my salvation, but I had to keep making payments to finish paying off the debt. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he said it's finished, which was the word teleo, which means paid in full. 
There aren't any installments. Okay, so, but the world says, no, 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 you were acceptable yesterday because of these things you did, but and if you're going to be acceptable today, here's some other things you got to do. We have to keep performing to be accepted. So it's easy to carry that mindset into our relationship with God. Well, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. What's the will of God? Well, Jesus said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God. This is what God wants from you, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. That's all he wants, for you to believe. You know, and as therefore you receive Christ, so walk in him. So what do I do today? I accepted Christ all those years ago. What do I do today? Believe me. Trust me. Well, in order to do that, I have to get to know God in such a way that I do trust him. And that's the maturing process. I'm not being more saved or making more installments on my salvation. I'm growing into my salvation. You know, the Bible talks about we're growing up in every respect into him who is the head, which is Christ Jesus. All right, so we're growing. But the world system keeps kind of dragging us back into that old mindset. Here's a verse in 2 Corinthians 10 that really enlightened me on this. It says, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. You see, how you and I relate to each other how am I doing in relation to you? Am I doing as good as you or not as good as you? Am I doing better than I did yesterday or worse than I did yesterday? All that actually doesn't tell us anything because the only one we're to compare ourselves with is Christ. And by being made righteous by faith, we are fully justified and acceptable to God. And now we're growing up into that, but he's still what we're looking at. You know, Paul said, I strain forward in Philippians 3 to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of, to get a hold of the reason God got a hold of me. And he talked about being mature. Uh, he used the word perfect, which means brought to a conclusion as far as the way we live. That word perfect uh, is like a, a perfect tomato. It's finally red and ready to pick. Okay, so the world system teaches us you have to keep trying to be acceptable. But God's kingdom, this is my last point, is not based on performance, it's based on birth. It's your birthright. You know, the world says you have to live a certain way to be acceptable. God says, because you are acceptable, I've made you acceptable, I'm teaching you to live. Because in reality, you cannot be something that you are not. You know, if I said to a cat that he has to fly like a bird, He's never going to fly because he's a cat, not a bird. Okay? Now, a bird is a bird when it's in the shell. When it hatches out of the shell, it's a bird, but it still can't fly. Does it only become a bird when it flies? No, it, it's a bird at the moment of conception. When, it, when the egg is fertilized and it begins to grow a little chick inside that shell, it's already a bird. And when it hatches out, we see something that looks kind of like a bird, but it still can't fly. So it doesn't become a bird when it finally learns how to fly and do bird things. It was a bird because of its birth. 
and it's learning to express who it is. The world says you will become something when you do something. God says you can do something because you are something. And what are we? We're his child. So we're growing up to be like our dad, and we cry out, Abba, Father. In Romans 8, 14 to 17, it says this, But all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not, become, you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, that's the law, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. Now, some people take that last verse and they go, oh, see, I have to, to really work hard and suffer a lot in order to be, no. You suffered when you died with him. Galatians 2, 19 to 21 says this. For the law, excuse me, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If I could be righteous by faith, but by works, Jesus didn't need to die. So suffering with Christ is not about living a hard life which you may get a chance to do. All of us face sufferings in this world, but this verse in, Galatians, in Romans 8 is talking about if we suffer with him, if we have been crucified with Christ, well, how does that happen? When you accept Christ supernaturally, because God is in eternity, you, even though you may live 2,000 years after his death, burial, and resurrection, you are crucified with him, you are buried with him, and you are raised with him, seated in heavenly places. And we'll talk about that a lot in the weeks to come. The Bible has much to say about that. So once you have suffered, you have been crucified with Christ, you will be glorified with him. So the suffering that we live through that leads to later glory is the suffering of being crucified with Christ, like it says in Galatians 2, 19 through 21. It's not that I live a suffered life, that I have to go through difficulty in order to be glorified later. We were crucified with him, buried with him, and raised with him. Now that's in an eternal perspective. Everything God sees is now. He sees yesterday and the beginning and the end all at the same time. So when I accept Christ today, I'm crucified with him 2,000 years ago. When Abraham believed in God thousands of years before Christ, he was crucified with Christ, buried with him, and raised with him because it says by faith he was made righteous. And it's the same thing that's true for us. And that glorification that comes is not based on, look at all the good works I did, I'll finally be glorified for that. It's the glory that comes from being raised with Christ and revealed with Him in glory, the Bible talks about. So the great thing about our co-crucifixion with Christ, and it brings us into God's family, and by birthright, we are being perfected, we're being matured, brought to maturity in Christ. Well, this is an exciting series, I think. And these are exciting truths that totally revolutionized my relationship with God. Rather than being afraid of Him, I'm drawn to Him when I struggle. I'm not trying to go fix it myself, but coming to Him to receive grace and find help in time of need, which we get at the throne of grace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You that You have completed everything on our behalf through Christ. And You're inviting us into that 
that work that you're doing, and as your workmanship, you are bringing us to maturity, that we would walk in those good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. I thank you that um, it's not about me trying to figure out how to do it right, but me learning to walk with you by faith and let you do it right through me as I cooperate in obedient faith. Thank you that you are good, you've given us a good law, and it's for a good purpose, but it's not um, our instructions on how to make ourselves righteous, it's really instructions about how to come to Christ and be made righteous by faith. We love you and we thank you for Jesus Christ and it's in his name that we pray, amen.